several weeks ago, we had our snowstorm. Remember our big snowstorm, which Sarah loved, apparently? And it, we, do you know how many inches of snow we had? 23. 23 inches of snow in Grand Rapids. That's pretty fantastic, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so if you have been around City Life for a while, you know that we have parking lot issues. When it comes to water of any sort, we have parking lot issues. How many of you have seen our two giant lakes that form after? Yes, yes, we have issues. And so when there was a nice big snowstorm, we had to deal with all of the water and the drainage. Now, Lord willing, we are working on that project next spring. But meanwhile, when the snowplows came through and prepared for uh, help, helping us get ready for church on Sunday, they, they cleared the parking lot beautifully. Everything was nice and clear with the exception of the hard-packed strip of icy snow directly in front of the doorway. So, of course, everybody has to walk over that section in order to get into the church. And that part, that's the throughway where people who are coming through to our shared parking lot with Family Dollar, that's where everybody drives. And so that snow had gotten packed and run over and run over and run over, over and over again. So by the, snow pl- by the time the snowplows came through, they couldn't scrape it off the ground. Now, a few days after the storm, the sun came out. It was a brilliant sunny day, and everything was melting. But that hard-packed snow was very stubborn to melt. It was that kind of hard-packed, icy snow that had turned slick, the kind of frozenness that even sprinkling salt wouldn't melt. Today's scripture is about a man with a heart that had become frozen to hope. He had been run over by disappointment a few times. And it's a, he's a man so frozen in disappointment that he almost misses out on a move of God. Hear with me the scripture today from Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice He will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from birth. 
many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? He asked. I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. They were both from priestly families. The scripture says they were upright in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands and regulations, and they observed them blamelessly. These were good people. But in verse 7, there is that key word, but. But they had no children. And we're clued in in this moment to a sadness that characterized their lives to a hopelessness because the scripture also tells us that now they are old. This is their heartache. So many months and so many years had gone by that now they are old, too old for children. The hopes and fears of all these years have built up. And there are certain ages and stages in life when things that were once possible aren't possible any longer, right? And this has been a long-term disappointment. It's the kind of disappointment that sticks with you. A long-term disappointment. uh, Something they've wanted and longed for and prayed for for a long time. A long-term disappointment. Maybe you've had one like that. A heartache. Something you've wanted for a really long time and a piece of your heart is missing. And you haven't been able to find it again. Zechariah and Elizabeth carried this ache. But Zechariah is presented with a special opportunity. Lots were cast, and his priestly division is on duty. He gets selected to go to the temple and be the one who offers the prayer of incense on the altar of incense. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You can only get selected once, and then you don't get another opportunity. And so he goes to the altar of incense. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. He enters into the holy place. The altar of incense was a a, a structure that was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. There are four horns on each corner of the altar. Once a year, those horns would be anointed with blood on the annual Day of Atonement. Remember that. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. And he went in, and his job was to burn the incense on this altar. 
This was in the holy place. The altar of incense sat directly in front of the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place. This was as close as any human being other than the high priest could get to the presence of God. And so he comes directly to this place and he offers the incense. This incense represented the prayers of the people. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we have this picture of the elders gathered around the throne, and it says in the book of Revelation, they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. It's this idea of incense wafts up to heaven, and heaven comes down and receives the offering. So when Zechariah is chosen to burn this incense, this is his moment. This is his big moment, his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he enters the holy place. I can only imagine what he's thinking and feeling in this moment. He's heard about this. It's every priest's dream to be able to do this, but he's never seen it with his own eyes. And here he is. He, He brings the fire to light the incense. He knows what he's supposed to do. He lights the incense. The offering is going up to God, and then everything that he is expecting goes out the window because an angel shows up. Now, Zechariah's never done this before, but he's pretty sure it's not typical for an angel to show up during the burning of the incense. And suddenly, Zechariah's big moment becomes an even bigger moment. Luke 1, 11 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. The angel then goes on to say, and David has been Gabriel so many years in a row at City Life that I can only hear David's voice whenever I read the words of Gabriel here in this passage. But Gabriel then goes on to say, God heard your prayer. And guess what? I have great news. You're going to have joy and you're going to have delight. You're going to have a child and he's going to be a wonderful blessing in your life. He's going to be a pretty fantastic person. And then he says, here's some instructions about who he's going to be and how he needs to be raised and what he's going to become, what his identity will be. And the angel says, and this son, he'll not only be a joy and a delight to you, he's going to be a blessing to all of the people. He is going to be the prophet that goes before the Messiah, who, by the way, the Messiah is coming. This is an incredible announcement. So much is happening in this one moment, this once-in-a-lifetime time at the altar of incense, this personal encounter with an angel, this special prophecy that two senior citizens are going to have a baby, this once-in-a-lifetime encounter with God. And Zechariah blows it. I, Zechariah is probably up in heaven right now thinking, why do they always tell this story? It's so embarrassing. Why is this bar story of mine in the Bible? Why couldn't they talk about other stuff? But Zechariah has this moment, and he blows it. He's gripped with fear. And when the angel comes to him and says all of these great things, he can't accept it. He can't receive it. He can't believe it. He won't believe it. It's too much happy good news, and he says, I can't, I can't take that in. He is frozen with fear, and his numb heart freezes up, and he cannot receive this gift God wants to give. 
So the angel has just finished his long and glorious speech about all the things, all this prophecy about what's going to happen to John the Baptist. And the angel and, and says things like, and the, the disobedient will turn to the wisdom of the, the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This majestic statement. And then Zechariah says, well, how, how can I be sure? I'm old, and my wife is well along in years. You see, Zechariah's just had a lot of disappointment. He's seen too many years, too many months go by, and his hope is, is frozen up. He's so used to protecting himself from disappointment, he can't even receive it. Longing for a child is a heartache that touches the deepest parts of a person's life. It's, it's a heartache that you experience over time. It's a heartache that you experience not just once. It's a heartache that you experience month after month after month. And the problem with Zechariah is it's not that he doesn't believe God does miracles. He is a person of faith. He knows God does miracles for other people. He knows that God does miracles in the past. He knows God has done amazing works in other people's lives, but he also knows that God doesn't always do it for everyone. Not everyone who wants a child gets one. He knows that God doesn't give everyone what they want. And so if he can numb his heart, if he can just let it freeze up a little bit, it won't hurt so much. And I think that a lot of us have experienced that kind of long-term disappointment. That long-term hoping, the wanting, something that's made our hearts numb, something that's frozen us up inside. What's gotten you paralyzed to move? Where are you stuck? Has the intensity of life, the distraction of stress, a long-term disappointment, is it, is it numbing your reception to God? Is it freezing up your heart so that you don't get disappointed with what you want? Zechariah's frozen up, and after this incredible information from the angel, he says one line. He says, how can this be? I'm an old man, and my wife ain't a spring chicken. That is the one and only thing he says before nine months of silence. <laughs> he has to live with that statement being his last statement for nine months. These are hopeless last words. These are the last things he speaks for the next nine months before the angel says, you're going to be struck with an inability to speak until this baby comes because of your faithfulness. Meanwhile, we've got the angel. We're going to be talking about the angel in in a future week, but I, I love how Gabriel has personality in this story. The angel is just shocked that Zechariah doesn't believe him. He, he, says to, he says to Zechariah, do you know who I am? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I literally serve in heaven. I have a message from God to you. Do you know who I am? 
And he says, because you don't believe, I'm going to make your mouth as frozen as your faith. Maybe this is the inspiration for Silent Night. Who knows? And in that moment, Zechariah is struck mute and he's unable to speak for nine months, the quietest year of his life. And Zechariah then goes home to a very surprised Elizabeth. Church, the hopes and fears of all the years are disappointments, are long-term disappointments. They, they change us. They shape us. They form us. They weigh on us. And the question for us is, will we keep our hope in Jesus or will we freeze up and let our hearts become numb? There's a connection between hope and fear. I was reading in a secular article this week, it was an article in Positive Psychology Network, and it was talking from a a secular perspective about the connection between hope and fear. And it was saying they're really very similar in terms of how they play out in our lives. Hope is when you hope something will happen, naturally if you're hoping something will happen, it means you have a little bit of fear that it won't. Similarly, when you are fearing that something will happen, you also have hope that it won't happen. They're kind of connected. There are three points that I thought were helpful in understanding the connection here. Both fear and hope are motivators. Number one, fear and hope motivate us. One motivates us towards something. The other motivates us away from something. So there's this drive both to fear and to hope that that pushes us in a direction. We have these forces at work in our lives pushing us in one direction or another. You you don't usually just sit still with fear or sit still with hope. You're, You're being pushed in a direction. Point two, both fear and hope are both felt about very impactful things. Things that are meaningful to you. You are afraid of things that are important to you. You are hopeful for things that are important to you. Fear and hope play around the things that are most meaningful to us. And then finally, both fear and hope are felt where total control of the outcome isn't possible. We're afraid when we can't control the outcome. Where we hope when we can't control the outcome, we, we hope that something good will happen. The renowned poet Maya Angelou says, hope and fear cannot occupy the same space. Invite one to stay. When we lack hope, if you suspect your hope is maybe a little frozen or a little numb, I'd encourage you to examine what your fear might be. The angel says to Zechariah, the first thing the angel says is, Zechariah, don't be afraid. And in many ways, church, this is the whole message of Christmas. Don't be afraid. Don't worry, world. You don't have to be afraid anymore. The rescuer is born. Don't be afraid anymore, world. The Savior is here to stay. This is what Christmas is all about. We don't have to have the hopes and fears of all the years anymore. The birth of hope. Hope is, hope is an act of resistance to the world that would tell you not to hope. 
Hope is countercultural. Hope is something that is against the natural order of this fallen world that we live in and we're born in. Hope is an act of resistance saying, I will not succumb to the fallenness of this world. Instead, I will put my hope in Jesus and the new life and the resurrection that he offers. The enemy would love to make and keep you in a state of hopelessness. The enemy would love for your heart to be numb. If he can't make you disobey God, he wants to make you numb to God. The enemy wants to keep you locked up in fear. If he can't, if he can't keep you from doing wrong things, he wants to keep you afraid of doing the right things. The enemy wants you to keep your eyes on this world and keep focused down here instead of keeping your eyes focused on the heavenly one that the people of God truly belong to. Today you have an invitation to hope. Zechariah was invited to hope, and he said, no, I'm not going to RSVP to that party. You've got an invitation to hope. An invitation to put your hope in, in Jesus, not for what he can do for you, but for who he is. And he will warm and thaw and melt what is frozen in your soul in a way that only he can. You cannot thaw yourself. You need Jesus to do that for you. He can unstick you where you are stuck Fix your eyes on heaven, church, rather than here. Now, I'm not saying that you should just hope that everything you want to happen will happen. I confess, I like cheesy Christmas movies. I enjoy them. I, will re I don't rewatch movies. I will rewatch cheesy Christmas movies. I like them. There's something happy and fun where you know within the first five minutes exactly what's going to happen. I love that. What drives me nuts, though, my only pet peeve about cheesy Christmas music cheesy Christmas movies, is that some of them have this theme of just believe, right? You've heard this. You've seen this before, right? And so, like, say it's a movie, it's usually a movie about Santa, and the kid believes in Santa and the grown-ups don't, right? I mean, they all have the same theme. And the whole message of the movie is, if you just believe, then you will know that Santa is real. If you just believe, you will experience Christmas magic. That drives me a little bit crazy because we are not cheesy Christmas movie people. We are Christians. And so when I talk to you about belief and about hope, I'm not saying just believe that whatever you want is going to happen. Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't just believe they're going to have a baby and then have one. They had a baby because God said, this is what I want for you. We don't just believe that things are going to happen and then make them happen by that. That's not what it means. As Christians, we put our hope in Jesus in the person of Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus, and we say, Jesus, you get to decide what my life looks like. My hope is in you because I know you are good. So I hope in you, whatever you give me, whatever comes my way, I receive as your gift to me. I don't know what some of your long-term disappointments might be. I don't know what you've hoped for and prayed for for so long. And you might never receive that thing. That power is in the Lord's hands. But as the people of God, you are invited to hope. To hope in the goodness of God, perhaps in a way that you haven't imagined yet. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is a phrase that's all through the Bible. 
It's all over the place. If you, if you do a Bible search on the phrase, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, do not fear, you're going to find lots and lots of references. It's almost like God wants us to know that we don't have to be afraid. When, when the Lord comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I picked you out of all the people, and you, Abraham, are going to change the world. And the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision and says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. When the people of Israel are facing war, God told Moses to say, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. When the people of Israel were preparing to enter the promised land, God told Joshua to say, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. There's a long history in Scripture of God intervening in this world, butting his heavenly presence in, and saying, to the people, don't be afraid. And so when we come to the New Testament, we see it again. We see the angel coming to Zechariah saying, Zechariah, don't be afraid. And in the next part of the chapter, the angel comes to Mary, and the angel says to Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. You'll be with child, and he will be the savior of the world. And then just a little bit later, the angel comes to the shepherds in the field and says to the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people. Don't be afraid. Let your frozen heart melt. Let your numb heart be revived. Come to the Lord and let him replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And later in the scripture, once again, we'll see an angel meeting up with a group of women, women who are standing at the empty tomb of the resurrected Christ. And you know what the angel says to the women at the empty tomb? He says to them, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are people of the one true king. You are people who God calls his own. You are people that God calls his sons and daughters. And if you are sons and daughters of God, you don't belong in this world. You are passing through this world. You belong to another world. And so when Zechariah says, when, when the Lord says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And when he says, don't be afraid, Mary. And when he says to the shepherds, don't be afraid, shepherds. You, as God's beloved children, can know that he is also coming to you and saying to you, do not be afraid, Quis. Do not be afraid, Sue. Do not be afraid, Brenda. Do not be afraid, because I've come. And today is your invitation to hope. It's your invitation to hope. In the book of Revelation, the prophet says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We've been invited to hope. And maybe we need to give up what we want the way we want it. But let your pursuit of Jesus be the first thing that you want. And so today, I want you to know the day is going to come when the hopes and fears of all the years 
will be met fully in Jesus himself. In this Christmas season, as we explore this theme of Frozen and this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I invite you to bring your frozen-up hearts to the Lord. The places where you're numb, the place where you're locked up and, and stuck, the place where you've shut yourself off from God because it's just hard to go there. I invite you to spend some time exploring that space and to let the gentle, warm breath of the Holy Spirit blow on you and bring you back to life. In just a moment, we'll be receiving communion, and you will be invited to come and participate in the body and the blood of Jesus. And I invite you, and when you come forward, to say, Lord, I put my hope in you. I hope in you. Thaw my heart, God. Lord Jesus, we bring ourselves to you, presenting ourselves like in, at the altar of incense, presenting ourselves in prayer to you. Lord Jesus, you know the hopes, you know the long-term disappointments, you know the ways that our disappointments have been packed down over and over and over again until we're frozen up. And Jesus, we come to you as the only one who can do the supernatural work that we need. We need your divine assistance, and you are the only one who can do it. Thank you for coming to do it. Thank you for coming to be our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.